The text for this morning's message will be in Daniel chapter 3. I find myself standing before you with a full heart, um, so much that I, I feel that I could speak to um, this weekend being the 4th of July and this wonderful country that we live in uh, that we are so thankful for, uh, one that is under siege, it's under attack, uh, not from external forces but from within and, and we should be praying for her, we should be defending her in any way that we can. Um, there's the recent downturn of events. It, seem as, it seems as if lockdown is, is becoming imminent again. But the order of the church is not to sing. and It was good singing together, wasn't it? We're, like I said, we're not, we're not bowing down on that one. Um, along with some struggles that some of us and some of our loved ones are facing as we should be in constant prayer for all of these. So I find my heart being pulled in different directions. But uh, for this morning, we're going to continue in Daniel because we'll find strength in the example of these three men to face the hard times, to face the struggles that we are. And sometimes it's those examples and how God works in other lives that helps us the most. So our text will be Daniel chapter 3. We're going to pick it up in verse 14, kind of, Backtrack just about four verses into our previous text. Daniel chapter 3, verse 14, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter through verse 30. The Bible says this, Daniel chapter 3 and verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Verse 19, Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace, one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them in the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen and their hats and their other garments and were cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound, into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, and rose up in haste, and spake, and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men, upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their heads singed, neither were their coats changed nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Bow your heads with me, if you would, in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day and the blessing uh, that it is to come here. Thank you for your grace and mercy that you've given us, Lord. Thank you for the examples that have been set forth in your word, Lord. I ask now that you would remove distractions and help us to open our hearts and our minds as we learn from these three men and the principles that it has for us today. I ask that you give me grace to speak what is needed, nothing more, nothing less. I ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to just bring to mind quickly a few main points from last week. This is a very familiar story. You've probably heard it many times. Like I've said, I've grown up hearing this from the time I was just a a little child and don't let the familiarity of it kind of blur the lines or, or blur the impact for us. There is much for us to learn, isn't there? These men had the courage to stand against the world's demands. When others are bowing, we are to stand. In fact, that's what they say, right? We will not bow. We are not going to worship any other God but our God. We're not going to bow. They say it with conviction. They back it up with their actions. We bow to God alone. And then we we looked at the question that Nebuchadnezzar asks. It's there in verse 14, if you remember that. Is it true? Is it true? We said that sooner or later, we're going to be asked that question. Is it true that you're a Christian? Is it true that you believe the Bible? Is it true that you serve God alone? And how will we answer that? Will we answer it the same way that they did? Yes, it's true, and we are not going to bow. And they give us strength in their courage. They give us strength in their resolve. And we must answer the same way. Yes, it is true, I bow to God and God alone. And that is needed now more than ever. It's not Christians remaining quiet that's going to turn the uh, the country around. It's not us being silent and passive that's going to change the society around us or that's going to impact our loved ones. It's going to be us taking a stand and saying, no, we bow to God and God alone. So we must stand. And I think we all feel that way, right? We all want to be an example like this. I do. I want want to be known as somebody who stands. Well, what keeps us from doing that? What is it that holds us back? What is it that keeps us quiet and keeps us the silent majority? Well, maybe it's fear of the furnace. 
Maybe it's fear of the threat or the consequences. We are afraid of what may happen if we stand up and take a stand. And we touched on that last week. We say we will not bow, but sometimes that's easier said than done when we're in the situation and we are facing and feeling the heat of the furnace, isn't it? It's a little bit different then. And quite often, in those moments, we crumble. Well, I want to pull from the example here in Scripture. We come to that very scene this morning in our text. They make a stand, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They make a stand against the king and his orders, and now they are facing the threat, or they're facing the punishment for their stand. The threat wasn't enough for them. Sometimes for us, the threat is enough, isn't it? It's enough to scare us into submission, to scare us into silence. Very rarely does the world ever have to do what it says. They don't even have to light the furnace. They just have to threaten it. And too often we willingly bow. Maybe we stand for a short time, and maybe we say some big words, but quite often, if we're honest, when we begin to feel the flames, when we begin to feel the pressure, and we begin to face real consequences for standing for the Word, sometimes we, we cave, don't we? I don't want to be in that category anymore. I don't want to be silent anymore. And part of the reason we see the world so messed up is because maybe we've been silent too long as the church. But if we're going to make that stand, we're going to need strength, right? We're going to need strength to face the furnace without fear. That's the title for this morning's message, is Facing the Furnace Without Fear. If I'm honest, right about verse 19 is where I start to have second thoughts. Look at verse 19, that's where we'll pick up. Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. Remember, he brings them in, He he makes this image, and everybody is supposed to bow down. Of course, these three do not. So he brings them in, he questions them, and they make that wonderful statement, nope, we ain't bowing, we are not serving any other god but God. And this is the consequences. Then he was full of fury. The idea is this this roiling, bubbling pot. He's out of his mind with rage. It says the form of his visage or his expression was changed against them. Maybe he thought that he was going to talk some sense into him. Okay, listen, guys, is this really true? Is this really what you want to do? Maybe get them to change their mind. It's one of those talks. Maybe you've had them. Maybe you've even given them. Come on, guys, think this through. Do you really want to do this? Do you really want to make this stand? Do you understand what could happen? And it would surprise you how often that comes from other Christians. You know, we need to be careful. We need to think about this. Well, whatever it is, it doesn't move them one inch, thank God. No, they're not backing down. They're standing, and they're standing true on their commitment to God. These men stood firm for the truth. And that changed things. That changed the relationship. Do you see that? Before this, before chapter 3, they've been promoted and they've been ruling over provinces and Nebuchadnezzar is happy with their work. They take a stand for God and it changes things. Most relationships are fine and all good until you take a stand. 
Until you answer that question, is it true? Yes, it's true. I serve God. I believe the Bible. I, I pattern my life after biblical principles. And when you, you contradict sin or falsehood with truth and you take a stand against it, people are going to be riled up. People are going to be mad. And it's going to change things. You see, our human nature hates the truth, doesn't it? Our human nature hates the truth and we like to keep ourselves in our own reality and what we think and the world turns as we think it should and God, if He exists, is a God of our own making and when somebody shows up and shatters that with truth, we don't like it, do we? We don't like being told we're wrong and we react to that. You see, when you speak the truth, especially in today's world, you are rebellious, you're a troublemaker, you're a problem causer. Why can't you just be quiet and go with the flow? These young men who were once looked at as good, upstanding citizens, they're now defiant. As with everybody who's going to stand against the social narrative today. If you don't take a knee for what groups out there say that you should take a knee for, you are now defiant and a problem causer. If churches don't shut their doors and silence their singing... They're problem causers. You see, when you take a stand, it changes things. At one time, Christians were the part of society that nobody was worried about, even thankful for in some instances. Now, we are the enemy because we will not bow. Expect that. Expect relationships to change when you speak the truth. It's part of dealing with fallen man. It says he heated the furnace seven times, right? Verse 19. Then the Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. The form of his visage changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace seven times more than it was wont to be heated. Heat that furnace seven times. And the idea is this. I'm going to make them pay. It's not going to just be a normal punishment. I'm going to go beyond. They're going to pay for that. I'm going to make them sorry for what they said. Make, I'm going to make them an example. <laughs> Sound familiar? I, I, it seems like I've heard that before. I'm thinking of pastors being arrested for having church. I'm thinking of people getting parking tickets for attending a drive-in church. I'm thinking of cake-baking lawsuits. I'm thinking of the personal attacks from friends and family members. I'm thinking of Christianity being blamed for the roots of slavery and Jesus being a figure of white oppression. On and on and on. All the ways that people lash out against the truth. You're going to be sorry for making a stand. I'm going to make sure of it. Again, Expect that. Expect the world to not receive the truth. Did not Jesus say that? Didn't He tell His church that in the book of John? The world hates me. It's going to hate you too. They're going to hate you for my sake. Because we stand for Him. Because we follow Him. So these men make a stand and now they face the furnace. And I want you to put yourself in their place. I, with, with accounts like this, I don't want them to just be dry words on a page. I want you to think what that was like. 
They're standing there. The furnace is there. The king is ticked off and he's ready to throw them in. And now he says, heat it seven times more. Now you just don't turn up a thermostat and make it instantly hotter. That's going to take some time to add the wood or whatever they were using to stoke the fire and get it hotter. You know what that means? That gives them time to think now. They're standing there waiting for this. And I wonder what went through their minds. What did they think about? They made that wonderful statement, God is able to deliver us from this furnace and He's going to deliver us from you and if He doesn't, we're still not going to bow. That's what they said in verse 17 and 18, right? So now they're standing there. I wonder what's going through their mind. Okay, God, now would be a good time to deliver us. (laughs) Now would be a good time to do something great and that way we don't have to go to the furnace. Please deliver us from this. I have no doubt they were praying that. And then the realization Okay, I guess you're not going to. There came a point in these three men's minds, we're going in there. This is going to happen. What were their prayers? Lord, I'm scared. I can't do this. Give me strength. Give me faith. We're not told, but I know what the thoughts might have been in my own head. Whatever their thoughts were, they didn't turn back. And sometimes right there is where we crumble, right? Where we're actually on the doorstep of a trial. We see it on the horizon and we start doing everything that we can to avoid it. Not these three. Not these three. They didn't back down. And they didn't know the ending either. We can say, oh, that's awesome. I know what God's going to do. Hang on, guys. It gets better. They're living it. And they don't back down. And then it starts, verse 20. Then he commanded the most mighty men who was in his army to bind these three and to cast them in the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in everything that they're wearing. Nebuchadnezzar calls the most mighty men. Why did he do that? Perhaps he's expecting a fight. Perhaps he's a little bit leery of this God who they serve because he's already familiar with the favor God's shown them in chapter 1 and chapter 2. He knows that much. So he says, bind them, bind them up. And the command is hasty. Tie them up as they are. We want this done now. But I want you to notice what you don't see these three doing. Fighting back. You don't read of them breaking out their AR-15 rifles and saying, come get me over my dead body, praise the Lord, and pass the ammunition. And quite often, that's our mentality, isn't it? They don't fight, they go. Now listen, there's a difference between self-defense and religious persecution. There is a time to defend yourself and your family from harm. There is a time and place to defend this country against those who would try to overthrow it and the wonderful liberties that we have. We as a church support the men and women of our military. We support the police and those who defend us. I, defend my fa- I will defend my family if that time comes. There's a time and place for that, but you also know and understand there's a time when we choose to lay down our lives for His cause. This is that time. They're not going to fight. They know what this means, and they go willingly. And I don't know if there was fear in their hearts. I don't know if there was a calm anticipation of heaven. 
but it happens. Look in the end of verse 21. And they were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. It happens. And we wish it wouldn't, don't we? We wish people would listen to the gospel. We wish hearts would be changed to the truth. We wish the world wouldn't retaliate. We wish trials wouldn't come in our lives, but they do. Sooner or later, you've got to face a furnace, as do I. We wish things could always be peaceful and calm and go smoothly. There'd be no sickness, no heartache, no sorrow, no death, no trials or tribulations. But hard times come, and we have to get, that's a fact we have to come to peace with. Job says this life is short and full of trouble. And there's a lot of good times, for sure. Look, You can look back on your life and all that you've enjoyed and all the good times that God has given you, and there's a lot of those, isn't there? There's a lot of happy times and joyful memories. But there's also bad times that come, isn't there? There's hard times. And whether it be some form of persecution or maybe it's difficulty because of our stand for our truth or maybe it's just trials that the Lord leads us through, sooner or later we're going to have to face our furnace and we're going to find ourselves right in the middle of a fire. Are you ready for that? They're thrown in. Notice verse 22. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know if you noticed that, but let me say this quickly. These mighty men of the world lost their lives in the effort to kill these three men. Quite often, the efforts to harm God's people just end in damage of those who are trying to do it. (laughs) These men, however many they were, lost their lives in the process of doing harm to God's people. And the world does that to itself over and over and over. The attacks on the truth of the Word, the attacks on God's people, is not good for the world. Just think of this simple example, just one simple example. I don't know if you remember, oh, it's been several years ago. I think it was Proposition 8. There was that push to to redefine marriage apart from the biblical mandate. And man, the the opposition, well, we were the opposition. Those who were pushing for it, they they were intense. The idea was to shut those people who, who stand on the Bible up, make them quiet, enough of this. Now look at society. We have kids that can't tell if they're a boy or a girl. That's not been good for society. It has damaged it. To go away from biblical truth has damaged the world as a whole. That's just one instance. And the world does it to itself over and over. The attacks of God, uh, against the timeless truth of God is not good for humanity. They're not higher enlightenment. These people aren't woke. They're descending into a deeper darkness is what's going on farther and farther away from the light and peace and joy and goodness and truth of God. But yet we go away from that and it damages, it causes chaos. 
Which, beloved, is why it's so important we stand for it and stand boldly, even in the face of the furnace. Verse 23, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. The Bible is pretty careful to detail that, isn't it? They fell down, bound into the furnace. Well, for the human mind, it's game over, isn't it? That's it. They're done. This thing is blazing seven times hotter than it normally is. It killed the people that put them in there, that threw them in there. There's no way they're living. There's no way they're coming through this. And there's a white space between verse 23 and verse 24. Now listen, I've said many times, take time to think about those spaces. Sometimes we can read and just go through it and and not feel the impact of it. What happens in those few moments between verse 23 and verse 24? Did the king breathe a sigh? He said, finally, that's done. Now they're going to pay bow to God and God alone. Oh, they'll see. Did he sit back and wait? Hmm, it's awful quiet. Did he look around and Maybe clean out his ear and say, what's, what's going on? I, I, don't, I don't hear the screams. I don't know how long he waits, but he goes to see. And then we have verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished. And he rose up in haste and he spake and said to his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? Didn't we throw three guys in there tied up? Yes, true, O king. And he answered and said, Look, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of of God. How is this possible? They should be dead, but look, they're free. They're walking around the fire like nothing is happening. They have no hurt. And there's someone with them. Some of your translation might say or give a footnote to say it's a divine being or a son of the gods. Some say this is an angel. And if you want to believe it, that's fine. I believe the authorized version and the New King James hit it right in the head. The son of God. I don't believe this is an angel. I believe this is Christ. There with them in the midst of the furnace in the worst possible place. They are fine. They are freed. And they are not alone. They are not alone. Now, I don't know what it was like there in the middle of that raging inferno. Again, I I try to place myself in in their position. What went through their heads as they're thrown in? Oh, this is going to (laughs) hurt. What's going to happen? Then they hit the ground and look around and what's going on? Where's the ropes that were binding me? And who is that? Who is that there with us? Oh, it's you. What did Christ say to them? What comfort did He give them? Oh, can you imagine what that would have been like? Actually, yes, you can. Maybe you haven't faced this physically, but some of you have have faced some trials and you know the concept. You know what it's like to face a trial? One that is scary? One that is daunting? One that's overwhelming? 
you face it, you go into it filled with fear and uncertainty. Maybe even praying that God would let it pass. Lord, please don't let this happen. Please don't let this happen. Then you know that it's not, that it's not going to pass. You're going to go through it. Not quite knowing what it's going to be like. And there, unlike any other place, you met Christ. You are aware of His presence with you like never before. And you came to know and rely on Him in a complete way. Something that was, in in a way that was unhindered by other things. You came to, to have a relationship with Christ like only trials can bring. Sometimes we read that verse in James when it says, Count it all joy when you enter into various trials. And we say, no, thank you. I, I don't want to know that way. James knows these three Hebrew men know, and some of you know. There is a joy of being close to Christ like only a furnace can bring. These three men here in our text come face to face with Christ. And I want to tell you right now, if you're facing a furnace, you can come face to face, as it were, with Jesus. You will not be alone. You will not face it alone. All the fire did was free them. It burned away the bonds. It freed them from what was restraining them, what was holding them back. And you know what? Trials often do that. They have a way of putting things into perfect perspective, don't they? Listen, just take this this little light affliction we've faced these past months. For some of us, it's not been as hard as for others. Some have lost in this time. But through it all, haven't we come to to realize some things that are important, like family, like church, and fellowship, the blessing of having a job, even if you used to complain and grumble about it before, now you're pretty happy to have it? Kind of removed some things that were in the way, right? Gave us some clarity. You see, hard times is sometimes when we see the clearest. It's when our faith is not just lip service, but... It's what we cling to because it's all we have left. Some have lost jobs. Some have lost financial security. Some have lost relationships. Some have lost physical health. All things that we hold dear and near to our hearts and precious to us. But in reality, things that can be binding to us. You think those things can hold us back? Sure they can. And I've said many times, those areas of our life are not evil in and of themselves. In fact, they're God-ordained. But when they get out of place and they get out of context and we can place them before God, sometimes we need to be reminded of perspective in them. And sometimes God does what is best for us and we don't understand it just like we do for our children. So He might lead us into a trial. Or He might allow some things to happen in our lives. The problem is we we run out and try to tie ourselves up again with all those things that maybe got in the way. There are times when God will guide us into trials and there are times when we will face them for standing for the truth. Either way, what I want you to know this morning is we are not alone in them. We are not forsaken in the worst times of our lives. 
We're not left up to our own power as if God suddenly pulled back and said, hey, you're on your own, buddy. No. He is with us. Just the same as He is with these three Hebrew men. He is with us, giving comfort, giving deliverance, holding our hand and guiding us through. You all have heard that old, you've probably seen it on your grandma's uh, uh, coffee table or something. The old Footprints um, poem where it talks about looking back through life and two footprints and then there's a set of one and he, he asks the Lord, hey, those were during the hard times in the life. Why did you leave me? He says, no, that's when I carried you. We are not alone in those times. Christ is with us. All we've got to do is just open our eyes. You know what I would have been doing in the middle of the fiery furnace? Probably with my eyes closed, rolling around on the floor, saying, ah, help me. (laughs) But if I stop and open my eyes, I can see that he's there. Quite often, my my, uh, reaction to a hard time is like somebody who's drowning in knee-deep water. Oh, this is so bad. This is so terrible. Lord, help me. And all he tells me is just stand up. Stand up and you'll be fine. And then I see his power and his guidance and the peace that he gives. We're not alone. That hope and that promise that God is with us through the hardest times of our lives, that should be so deeply rooted in our hearts that it gives me strength to stand. Whatever I face, God is going to be with me. These three men had that steadfast confidence. And they went steadfastly into the trial. No, we're not backing down. Heat that thing as much as you want. We know who God is. Whether by life or death, God will deliver us. That's what they said. And I want to ask you this morning, do you have that same hope? Do you have that same strength? Could we face the loss of everything, even our very lives, and still stand? I asked a question in the beginning of the sermon. What what is it that holds us back? What is it that gives somebody the strength to stand like, like this? Well, let's get down to the root issue. What makes somebody do this? What makes somebody bold enough to face this? To face the furnace without fear? To say, do what you want. I'm not going to bow. What is it that's going to give you and me fearless faith? May I say it's a right perspective? It's a hold on heaven. To know that heaven is my home. And not just in word, but it's a vibrant, burning reality within my own very heart. Heaven is real to me. Is it real to you? Is it brighter than any furnace that you might face? That hope within you. It needs to be. There's so much to distract us. There's so much noise going on. There's so many things that draw our hearts here. And it's it's fooled us, or fooled many, I think, in the in the church, to thinking that this is the real deal. This is the party. So we spend so much effort here to be comfortable and happy here. To live our best life here and now. So much so that we don't want to leave. 
We think about dying, and that's like the worst thing that, we can ha- that could ever happen to us. So we do everything that we can today. Now listen, let me tell you what, what I love about this life. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love the relationships that I have. I love the fellowship I have with all of you and the relationships that we have. I love my dog. I love being out in nature. I love that, those blessings that God has given. But do you understand All of those relationships are just elevated and greater in heaven. That is just a taste of forever. But sometimes we get so drawn to down here and you need to understand we're not in the land of the living on the way to the land of the dead. We are in the land of the dying on our way to the land of eternal life. We're on the wrong side of heaven right now. And it's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> it's pretty packed full of blessings and God's goodness and God's grace and God's mercy. That's on the wrong side of heaven. Someday we're going to be on the right side where there is perfect peace and joy forever and we'll be with all of our loved ones who have gone on before us in the Lord. And it will be that way forever. Forever and ever and ever. It's way better. And we need to have a hold on that. Paul says this in Philippians, uh, the first chapter. He says, don't worry about me being in prison. He says, this is all working out. And it's according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. I'm not going to be ashamed in anything. I'm not going to be let down in anything. But with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ will be magnified in my body. Christ is going to be magnified in this. Listen now. Whether it be by life or by death. For to me, Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. But what shall I choose? For I am in a strait between the two. I'm having a hard time making a decision, he says. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. (laughs) Do you hear what he's saying? To live is fine, it's Christ, and I'll and I'll, I'll be here and be helpful. But there's a desire in my heart to depart, to be with Christ, because it's far better, in fact, To die is gain. What can the world do to somebody like that? Nothing. Nothing. Now there's an if there. To die is gain if if we have been saved. If we have trusted in Him. Without the gospel, without the atoning work of Jesus Christ on that cross, without His shed blood that takes away our sins and that cleanses us and gives us a new birth, without that, this world is as good as it's ever going to get. And to die will be eternal loss, eternal judgment. And that's why the gospel is so important. That's why I talk about it every time I stand behind this pulpit. 
We need to hear the Gospel. I needed to hear the Gospel. Every man, woman, and child needs to hear the Gospel. That we are sinners and we stand under God's judgment. And Christ has come so that we might be saved. That we might be forgiven. That He gave His life and shed His blood on that cross to save you, to save me. And all we do is repent. We turn away from our sins. We turn to Jesus and trust Him to save us. It's not by works. It's not by money. It's not by baptism. It's not by being here in church. It's not by singing songs. It's by faith. By grace ye are saved through faith. There was a time when I heard the preaching and it hit my heart and I knew that I was a sinner, that I was guilty for all that I had done. And I bowed in my knees and I trusted in my heart that Jesus died for me on that cross. I asked Him to save me. I asked Him to forgive me. That was simple as it was. I asked in faith, Lord, I trust You. Please save me. You know what? At that moment, all my sins were forgiven. All my iniquities taken away and I was born again. I was given spiritual life as John chapter 3 says. You must be born again. We must trust Him. And ever since that day, over 30 years ago now, my home is in heaven. Not because of anything that I've done, but simply because Jesus saved me. So the moment my eyes close in death, I open them to be in the presence of Him forever. I hope you have that same hope. See, I can say, as long as my heart's in the right place, because let's be honest, sometimes it's not. All of our hearts are not. But if my heart's in the right place, I can say with Paul, to die for me is gain. It gets better for me. In fact, it's far better than it is now. If you have Christ as Savior. And if you do, and if that hope is burning within your hearts, you realize we are untouchable. We are unbeatable, just the same as these three men were. You want to kill us? Fine. We go to be with God. We still win. You want to take everything you have? Fine. In the middle of the fire, we have no hurt. We are not touched by it because Christ is with us. That's what this world needs. That's what I want to be in my heart. So may God give us that perspective. We are out of time I want you to notice just a few quick things. They walked out of that fire, didn't they? They walked out. And the fire hadn't even touched them. Verse 27. They saw the body upon whose bodies the fire had no power. Not even a hair of their head was singed. Listen, I spent a couple nights last week doing campfires out in June Lake. You've got to be careful, especially if you have a beard and you go over a campfire to put a piece of wood in. You can get some singed hair just from the, the, the heat. This furnace is seven times hotter than it's ever been. Not even a hair was singed. Not even the smell of smoke was on them. That's how God delivers. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar said, there's nobody, there's no God who delivers like this. You've walked through some places you thought was hell. And you came through untouched, didn't you? Because that's who God is. That's His ability. You can look back in your life and you can see all those hard times you've come through untouched. And here you are, whole. 
And if you find yourself in the middle of a fire right now, understand you're going to walk out with His power. The fire will not consume you. It will free you. You may not see that right now, but trust Him because He is with you. Let me just address this and we'll be done. Well, I've known some people who've gone through trials and lost their life. They've suffered some bad things and died. What do you say about that, Pastor? I simply say what Paul did. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And yes, there might be pain for a time here. But those blessed brothers and sisters walked into glory untouched and whole. And through the fire, Christ was with them. You see, for the child of God, God is just as good when He doesn't heal as when He does. God is just as loving when He doesn't provide all that we think He should as when He does. God is just as gracious when He says no as when He says yes. Why? Because ultimately, for eternity, He gives us everything. Everything. I hope I have that hope within my heart that it burns brightly and it doesn't dim even in the face of the brightest furnace. I want what Nebuchadnezzar says of these three men to be said of me, servants of the Most High God who trusted Him and they yielded their bodies that they might not serve or worship any God except their own God. I want that to be said of me. Can that be said of you? Do we trust Him above all else? Is that what our friends and family know us for? Trusting God, serving Him above all else? Have we been a witness to His deliverance in our lives? Well, if you're like me, I've got a lot of growing to do. I need faith that is strengthened. Well, that's why we have this right here. To look and to know this same God hasn't changed. He still walks with us through the fire. Don't let Daniel 3 just be some story to you. Let it be an example and give you strength. We, beloved, can face the furnace without fear. We can take a stand boldly knowing that whatever may happen, God is with us. So let me say you are not alone. Christ is there. Let's bow our heads. Father, take these words as you see fit. Use them by your Spirit as only you can. Give us strength if we are facing trials or struggles, Lord. Be there with us. Carry us through, Lord. If there's one who does not know you as Savior, Lord, I pray that you would grant them sight that they might uh, repent and turn to you and trust in you for eternal life, Lord. Move among us as you see fit to do, Lord. I praise you and I thank you. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen.